and I'll give you the definition of that later. But first, we'll do a little more of a background on the shepherd's candle, and it's it's a fitting candle for this week. The shepherd's candle, the candle of joy, this beautiful pink candle amongst the sea of purple. Uh, in the words of Clay Poor, he's actually a theologian out at Princeton right now. Uh, he said the shepherd's candle emphasizes the joy of finding the Christ child and sharing this joy with others. Joy in the midst of seriousness and repentance. Here we are after this week. The loss of one of our own, searching for joy in the midst of our sorrow. The message today is really a joy boot camp. Uh, what joy is, when we should have it, how we live with it, and most importantly, where to find it and muster it on the darkest of days. And if you take anything away from any message that I give, I hope it is this. It is that the Bible is severe. Whenever you read the gospel, I want you to begin to understand and grasp, as I am now, the gravity and the whole truth of the word. Severity as an intensity and absoluteness, and today, severe, absolute, and intense joy that can only come from the Father. This is hard, because to truly understand a concept from the Bible, one, it's kind of impossible until our day of ascension to truly understand something from the Bible, but two, we have to pull from every nook and cranny of Scripture and look at it in its full weight and measure. Of course, only what we can see and measure is finite humans, but... Now today, I cannot give you everything there is on joy, but much rather a cannonball worth of scripture. We're going to get in, we're going to make a splash, but we're not going to get to the bottom. And my hope and my prayer is that each of you reach the bottom and you read and you study the word on joy, and this is just a starting place, that you hear this today and you go and you seek joy in the word and in your own life. So uh, let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, thank you for being here with us. Lord, please speak your word through me. I am a a young man, but Lord, I I seek to praise you this day as we all do. Lord, please, I hope that this word reaches at least one person in this room just as it has reached me. Lord, thank you so much. We are truly blessed. In your heavenly name I pray. Amen. All right, now today we're going to be in the Gospel of St. Luke as our core verse. And I, yeah, I told you earlier that I got a title today, In Excelsis Deo, from one of the TV shows I like. I've been watching The West Wing. You know, it's a political drama. I'm a little bit of a nerd. But, (laughs) and to tell you the truth, I have somewhat of an obsession with titles. I was doing a presentation at college, and my poor professor, we were in business communications and I've got titles on the screen, you know, talking about the imp and the fat man. And that shouldn't be allowed in an official college presentation, but lo and behold, it was, and I got an A. But, and you'll have to forgive me, I, I read from the KJV. I, I like the way that the words flow and the rhythm that it comes. So if you get caught up on anything, the NIV's up there on the screen. So we'll be in St. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Gloria in excelsis Deo, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Now, in all seriousness, there's got to be a joke in there somewhere about a Protestant preferring the Bible being in Latin. But now, as I said, I'm a young man, younger still in the ways of the word. And there are many things that God's set out for us. I have yet to be blessed with many things. Me and marriage, though closer and closer every day, children. And for the moment, what I've been struggling with is peace. I'm racked with anxieties and fears and doubts, all legitimate, but yet I have yet to build the discipline and maturity that it takes to experience consistent peace in my faith. The irony of all ironies, of course, is that from the snippets, the bite-sized, fun-sized Snickers chunks of peace that I have got has resulted in this exultation of joy that has lasted for hours and even days, propelling me forward to seek the word. This feverish joy. I know joy. And somehow I know exactly what these angels impressed upon the shepherds that day. There's this propulsion to action. The shepherds said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. They were terrified, not moments before. And yet these angels came down and the joy propelled them forward. So here's, I'm going to give you a couple of anecdotes that are really going to, and they're not really anecdotes, they're merely descriptions of things that I like, but I like to call them anecdotes because I forgot the word anecdote earlier this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, so this first one is kind of uh, my dad in baseball. Uh, so I want you to keep in mind uh, th- this phrase, what if it could turn out better than you could ever imagine? And I want you to run those words over in your head when you're considering the blessings of the Lord. What if they can turn out even better than you can imagine? Now, I am going to embarrass my father a little bit. God bless his heart. (laughs) And, uh, but give you some background on my dad. But it is really sweet. I promise you it's sweet. (laughs) So my dad didn't really grow up playing sports like my mom and my brothers and I have. Uh, He's in good shape. He was a cop. He's good shape healthy, but up until I started playing t-ball and getting into baseball, my dad really hadn't ever seriously thrown a ball. And uh, to this day, I want to tell you that my father cannot throw a baseball with any semblance of grace to save his life. He tries, and it's amazing, but (laughs) it doesn't look natural. (laughs) Uh, But I will tell you that I love the game of baseball because of my father. He may have the worst win-loss record in the history of the Fruit of Little League, but I tell you what, he is the best coach I've ever had. Now, he was a newcomer, as was I, and we learned everything there is to know about baseball together. And I remember being, I don't even know how old, and we would sit for literally hours for this week. We watched the entire Ken Burns baseball documentary. There's any fact about baseball up until, I don't know, the year 1994 when it came out. We know it. <laughs> Ted, Ted Williams' batting average is up here somewhere. I think it was like 406 when he went into the Hall of Fame. But 
But whenever we play catch, there's a special gleam in my father's eye. And it was there whenever we played. It didn't really matter if, he was, if it was just after he chewed me for not playing as well as I could have, not putting enough effort, or if I was just getting in my pitches for the day. That simple action is when we are father and son. I scarcely ever feel more like my father's son, other than, of course, speaking up here to you today, than when we could play catch. It has been years since we've played catch, but let me tell you, this joy that wells up in my father, in myself, is a result of the blessings of the Lord. I can only imagine that it turned out better than my dad ever imagined. And this gap between the expected and the unexpected, the receipt of a blessing he was never sure that he would receive when he was a kid. And not only did he get to receive this blessing, from the Lord, but he got to experience it for the very first time with his son. And that bond is a cause for great joy from the Lord. Now this next one, like I said, is much more of a description. And it's actually, it's about a hug. And it's what I call the, the coming home hug. Now, I am a hugger and I come by it honestly. It's genetic, I'm pretty sure. But, <laughs> but there's a, a short list of people who when I hug, I feel this, this, this feeling, this upwelling of joy inside of me. Now, for a quick disclaimer, the hugs I receive from Gavin and Beckett and any number of family members or church members that may or may not be offended by me singling out these two individuals should know that all of their hugs are equal, but they just evoke a different type of response. <laughs> all right, let's just get that out of the way while we're still here. Uh, now, this particular hug is the returning home hug. And the joy I see reflected is that of things being complete. Um, it is so cute and genuine. It's actually when Ryder and actually my girlfriend's little sister, Carly, uh, they come up, they wrap you in this big hug, although they're not all that big. They're getting bigger and it's scaring me. But, and they squeeze, you know. And I know that some of you have received this coming home hug before from these little children. It's the thing that gets you. It's not, it's not the squeeze. It's not the running. It's not the, the forceful thud that I'm sure that Ryder makes now. But there's this moment where they tuck their head into your chest. And boom, you're home. And amongst your people and that fulfillment and blessing from being home fills me and them with joy. Now, all right, so we've got one final bit of Derek trivia. And, and this is actually where the moments where I feel the joy of the Lord that comes the most consistently. So I have a simple go-to prayer that for the purposes of this exercise, we will call the Lord's Prayer Plus. Now, I do enjoy a good bit of heresy in the morning, but I promise that it's, I'm not rewriting Scripture. And it, all it is really is the Lord's Prayer, and then I, I add on a thing that's real personal. And so we'll read the Lord's Prayer real quick. So after, the, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You guys can follow along if you want. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now here's my plus part. And Lord, please also be my strength and my song. 
Amen. And although we could most definitely dive in and unpack my pleas for strength, we're going to dive in also brief, briefly into my plea for song. And like I said, I love words, and much to my brother's chagrin, he, he likes electronic dance music. I, I, I hate listening to, to music without words. I, I hate it. I love the words. I love the story. And so, you know, this is how I receive, and I love the rhythm of words in particular. And hopefully I write in that manner somewhat. Now, I want to tell you that I don't necessarily pray for this every night, but more than once a week, and the effect of prayer realized is something truly special. I hope that every single one of us in this room gets to experience prayer realized in some form or fashion. And let me tell you, it's an extraordinary feeling. And there are moments... I have hours or days after I've said this prayer, and all of a sudden the Spirit comes upon me and fills my head with a song, and I feel fulfilled and consumed by joy. It is most always a praise and worship song of some form, but I have felt it from lines and even whole secular songs that point towards the Creator. I like John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't matter where the words come from, where the words are, God is there. And they point us towards Him. Now, we should point us towards the Word, obviously, and get that there. But. So, we're going to actually return back to the chapter of St. Luke. Now, you guys got this idea of joy and what it feels like, and these ideas, hopefully, from my own lives, and you have experiences in your own. And I pulled out eight different characteristics of joy. Now, there are probably numerous more, but these were the ones I could find by looking at the index in the back of my Bible. <laughs> and it really comes up to a, a solid definition of joy that we're going to carry to in the second third of my message. And so if you will return to the second chapter of Luke, and specifically verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Now, quite easily, our first two characteristics of joy come out, they, they pop out. Joy comes on the wings of good tidings, all right? Where good tidings come, joy follows. And the second thing is, is because the good tidings are for all people, and when the good tidings come, joy is for all peoples. Joy is not exclusive, it's not set aside, it is designed in some form or fashion for every single one of us. For characteristic three, we'll actually move on to Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasure forevermore. Now this third characteristic is quite simple. Joy comes from the presence of God. That's it. Plain and true. You want joy? Find the presence of God. Characteristic four, uh, the fifth verse of the 30th Psalm. For his anger endureth for but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And this is actually one of my favorite characteristics of joy because it, it points to something that's perpetual. That no matter where you are in your life, whether you're down in the lowest slumps or you're up at the highest high, joy is always coming. It's always on the horizon until we are in the fullness of joy in heaven. Now, we'll find characteristic five actually from Psalm 51. 
And I don't know, for those of you who don't know, Psalm 51 is actually David uh, talking to Nathan after Nathan confronts him about his sin with Bathsheba. And it's one of my favorite psalms, and both Dad and Pastor Art have preached extensively on this and just how important of a psalm this is. And I picked out verses 8 through 12 because they, they actually deal with joy and how David is lacking joy in his sin. So verse 8 starts like this, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy holy presence. Take not thy holy spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Now there's a lot more to unpack in there. But that, that joy of thy salvation. And that is here characteristic five. Which is joy comes from salvation. It is a result of salvation. Not just the presence of God. But the result of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And then we'll go actually to Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which is the section on the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. And here it is. Here's characteristic six. Joy comes from the Spirit of God, which walks hand in hand with our you know, four and five characteristics. But this idea that the Spirit himself... I actually listened to David Platt's Secret Church. He's got it all on podcast for me. That's my favorite thing. I clocked in like six hours a day worth of podcasts walking around Lowe's in the outside lawn and garden section. I wish they'd given me more work. But, but being able, <laughs> able to listen to that and how he talked about the Holy Spirit as a person. And how this person of the Holy Spirit comes upon us in our salvation. And we get these things. And now I'm actually going to do a quick aside. Because I think it's crucial that in every moment, especially within our faith to the Bible, that we reiterate the fact that we are salvation-based faith. Um, and we'll, I'll, I'll actually talk. And, you know, because we are all saved by grace through faith. All right? We... There are many people who don't, you know, especially within the faith. And even Protestantism is moving more and more towards this workspace. And we've got to, to hunker down and understand. And we'll, even, we'll actually put James 2.17, which is the verse that most people find issue. And they draw this conclusion that we are a works and faith instead of just a faith-based religion. And it says, even so, if it hath not works, faith is dead, being alone. And of course, the casual observer will note that this points full force, for full force, there we go, towards works being necessary for faith. But I ask you that you view this through all of Scripture. And I've actually got a formula. I like formulas. I got certified in Excel. I'm quite proud of myself. <laughs> and, uh, but this formula, and I was surprised, uh, you know, when I, when, I, when I read my Bible, of course, I've got this little Harley Davidson journal that my folks got me from Milwaukee, and I write down my notes. And I was walking through this message, so I was like, no way am I going to be able to connect this, but lo and behold, here we are. So we'll be in Psalm 24, 5, and I love this, because it's literally, 
a formula for how our faith and things work in Christ. For they will receive... Okay, so there we go. He shall receive blessings from the Lord. This is salvation. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. This righteousness, the do-gooder instinct that we all have and experience is the effect of our salvation. You'll note there that it comes first. Salvation from the Lord comes first. And then the righteousness, the goodness, the good works. And that's what we have to focus on. That any of the fruits of the Spirit that we may experience are simply a result of our faith. And that faith comes first. This, I love Christianity. Because as soon as we receive God into our hearts and focus on Him, all the good things, we don't even have to worry about. They just kind of happen and we focus on them and suddenly it grows exponentially. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) And so we'll do a quick refresher on our characteristics on joy. So one, joy comes from good tidings. Two, joy is for all people. Three, joy comes from being in God's presence and experiencing the presence of God. Four, joy is always coming. It's perpetual. It is always on the horizon. Five, joy comes from salvation. And six, joy is a fruit of the Spirit as a result of salvation. Now, uh, characteristic seven uh, comes from Nehemiah, after Ezra read aloud from the Law of Moses. Chapter 8, verse 10 says, Then he, Ezra, said unto them, Go your way, eat, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Characteristic seven, joy from God is our strength. It is our fuel to go out and fulfill our purpose in him. And with the second to last part, neither ye be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We arrive at characteristic eight. And it's funny, I've noticed trends throughout the Bible that when God deals with humanity, things often come in pairs. You know, the the number two, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, even our formula was, you know, salvation and then good works. And it's the last half, in my last half of this message, which is joy comes after mourning. And it's reflected directly in Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. What we deal with and how we grow our relationship with God in our mourning ultimately results in our joy later down the line. And that's characteristic eight. And so as we arrive at what I believe to be the true definition of joy, not the Webster's Dictionary, but much rather the God's Word definition. And here it is. Joy is the emotional realization of God's grace in our salvation. It's that feeling when we get, when we, in some form or fashion, look through the keyhole and we see the entirety of grace and salvation because it's, it's hard to comprehend. E- even through a logical mind, it's, it's near impossible and that's part of the reason why we have emotions because it's with these emotions that we can comprehend things in their entirety and in ways we had never thought possible. And so we arrive at this section and oh, timely, and we'll read from Job 121. 
Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Originally, this was going to be a much smaller part of my message, and I was going to focus much, much more on hippie, yuppie, you know, what's a joy mindset. But I was actually picking my mom up from work and I see her, and, and she's crying, and I, I am very confused because I just got back from the Dick's new golf simulator, and I was hitting a three-wood almost 300 yards. I was quite excited. And then uh, she told me about Rick, and after a few minutes of, uh, of actual denial, I even asked my mom, am I doing the message on Sunday? She's like, yup. <sighs> and then actually this, this, this piece of the message, it it came to me suddenly. I, I formed the ideas as we were driving home. <sighs> and uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. This is the reality of our world. We struggle and fight and barely survive the pain and the strife and the suffering that comes from a sinful world, much less the simple reality that we have no control. God alone determines our destinies. And he is a good, just, and loving God, but still. You live in a world where kids can grow up without grandpas. Now, I'm, I'm very blessed. I have, uh, I had four grandpas, three living, one dead. And let me tell you, uh, some days I, I want it so bad. My grandpas are my heroes. Alongside my dad, they're the most influential men in my life. They taught me just about everything I know and half the stuff I don't. And it's, and it's hard knowing how influential they are and, and missing one, one that I knew just briefly. And it's hard knowing that the f first time I will remember having seen him outside of pictures will be in heaven. That's hard. We live in a world where kids can grow up without grandpas. We live in a world where people starve and freeze and burn and die and we have no control. How can we find joy? How is there any joy? But I will tell you this today, that there is joy because there is mourning. If we turn to Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plan, plant, and a time to pluck that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. If we'll go back to verse 4 there, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
the hard part about this passage, and specifically verse 4, is that we have to mourn. There's a season set aside by God for us to mourn. I believe thoroughly that God created everything with a purpose. And in this passage, it's, it's a hard passage, passage, especially in the lens of today. We're taught that in all circumstances as an absolute, that hatred and war, but I tell you that there are times for it set aside by God, and that's hard. It's hard, and I don't fully understand it. So here, but why must we mourn? Why must we weep? Why must we suffer loss and experience grief? I can't give you the full answer. I can't. I'm all of 19 years old. But, and it may even be the wrong answer today. But I can tell you that those who do not mourn end up bitter. We must warn. We are in a sinful, fallen world. And so there will be loss. And if we do not mourn, we end up bitter. Mourning is how we process death and loss. And only in moments of mourning do we truly reflect on ourselves and humanity and draw one single conclusion. We are frail and faulty and in need of a savior. And we ask the one question, why? And when we ask this question, why, we begin to seek God because we realize in these moments of death, of these moments of depth and depression, that we need God. Only in loss can we begin to comprehend who we are and who God is. And this is where mourning and joy are contrasted because I, I truly believe that Salvation, once again, is in two parts. In order to, to understand the need for salvation, you, you have to look at sin in its entirety. And that sounds like a really simple phrase, but if you turn it over in your head and you talk about looking at sin and understanding the degrees of infinity of which we are separated from God and the actual implications of that, we ought mourn. But that's when the joy comes. Joy is the opposite. Like I said earlier, our definition of joy is this. That joy is the emotional response to us truly feeling and understanding grace through salvation. But we must mourn loss. Even Jesus mourned. The shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody should have it memorized. It's two words. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. It was for a reason. Mourning is not evil. Negative emotion isn't even necessarily evil. The way we exercise it is. Jesus weeps for Lazarus. He weeps. Moreover, Jesus mourns his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we are faced with loss, we must feel the loss. But look at what the Messiah says here in Luke 22, 43-44. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Peter, James, and John, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus doesn't want it. He does not want the hurt and the wrath he is going to experience. He feels this grief, this loss. He begins to understand the full measure of sin for which God's wrath will be poured out in full. And processing loss, just as our Savior does here, is crucial to who we are in Christ. If we do not process correctly, we end up in all sorts of hell-filled places. Resentment and self-deceit and anger. Now, anger is fine if it is righteous. And even more so, mourning what we lost, we must mourn over sin. Mourning is fundamentally an exercise in reflection empowered by emotion. Therefore, we mourn. We mourn to reflect on the lives we have lost and their impact upon us. And as such, we are forced to turn inward and gaze upon the true depths of our sin. And we mourn that too. We mourn sin just as our Savior mourned sin on the cross. As he was dying, he mourned our sin. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now here we are, two-thirds of a way through a message on joy, and we're talking about mourning. And this is twofold. And I've touched on both points, but plain and true, I speak to you on mourning, because I have noticed that the church often does not address how important true mourning is. There's no class, there's scarcely any sermons on how we actually look at death and how that relates to our faith. I, I actually read C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, and, and it's heartbreaking and it's enlightening and I wish I had brought it back with me, otherwise I probably would have quoted it. And he wrote it after his wife died this giant of Christianity, this apologetic to end all apologetics. He, he struggled and he questioned and he retained his faith. It's, it's hard. But we're going to return to the Psalms real quick. Weeping may come for the night, but I tell you today, church, joy cometh in the morning. Here it is. Morning has its place. But the temptation is to stay there when we ought move on. We are addictive creatures and we consume ourselves with the pain that is meant to draw us towards reflection because we forget joy. Now we are going to face trials and we are going to have times when we mourn and we are going to feel like we have lost all hope and joy, but joy is our salvation realized. And as such, we must then hold on to the promises of our God. And when you hold on to the promises of our God, I want you to remember our first phrase. In excelsis Deo, God in the highest. And here are the promises that you must hold on to. These are just the ones I've found. There are numerous more. Because joy comes in the presence of the Lord. Joy comes from the blessings and presence of the Lord. So here are the promises and the blessings. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rejoice in this church. 
We labor and we are heavy laden, but in Christ we rest. And this blessing and promise with the Lord will fill us with joy in the darkest valley. I will give you rest. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they with that which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they shall see God. Blessed are they that are Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted were the prophets who were before you. Church, we will be reviled and persecuted and spoke ill of. But we must be peacemakers and merciful and hungry and thirsty for righteousness. For our reward is not on earth, but in heaven. And that is cause for joy. We are blessed when we act in the manner of the Lord. And from that blessing will come joy. Genesis fifty twenty. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. This is one of the greatest passages. Actually, that entire story of Joseph is phenomenal. And here he is. He, he's brought his dad in dad who hasn't seen him and I could probably count but I didn't count how many years and and here he is and he says what you and my brothers meant for evil God meant unto good Joseph saves however many thousands if not millions of lives by being there hearing the word of the Lord and predicting the, the famine that was to come and here's the deal it is not always apparent and the old cliche though true everything happens for a reason is overused and in poor spirit. Bad things are going to happen. And I tell you what, God uses them for our good. But mourn. But when the time for mourning is done, rejoice and hold church, fast church, for God is good. Rejoice, for the Lord turns our weeping to laughing and our mourning to dancing. We may not dance today, church, but we will dance tomorrow. Or maybe the day after that, or maybe the day after that, but dancing will come and laughing will come, even though we weep. Romans 6.23. If any of you went to Awanas, or whatever Awanas was back in the day, we should all know this verse. <laughs> For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus came to this earth near to this day to live as a man and give his life as the penance for our sin. And I tell you that the gift of eternal life he gave us on that cross is a cause for joy. Be filled with the spirit and reverence for the sacrifice of our Lord. And finally, we'll turn to John 3.16. And you guys can recite this one too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here it is, the reason for the season, so to speak. We rejoice because we believe. This is the fundamental idea of joy. We believe, so we receive. That includes blessings and thus joy. That includes the presence of God and thus joy. So when you find yourself in the slumps, I want you to remember those three words in English or in Latin. In excelsis Deo, God in the highest. That is your tinder, your fire starter for joy because let me tell you about the presence of God. It is not small. It is infinitely packed into our finite bodies and it fills us not to the brim of our earthly being, oh my goodness, but rather to the fullness of our heavenly form yet to come. This is joy in excelsis Deo, God in the highest. And if you can rest on that, No matter your situation, joy comes in the morning. I want you to understand, church, that every day is a blessing. And we have been given so much. We suffer, yes, but the amount that we have been given is always a cause for joy. I've been given so much. It creates a little bit of imposter syndrome, and I've got to remind myself that it's okay to struggle. But let me tell you I'm blessed with great parents, great brothers, you all, I'm extremely blessed, great girlfriend, everything, the whole shebang. <laughs> and there's a song that I love so much, it's by uh, Matt Maurer, and it's called Alive and Breathing. And I love it because it's actually a perfect reflection of not only my personal philosophy, but also my family words, my, my mom's mom's family, they're the Morgan family, they actually... You know, you, they can trace their lineage back to Wales and they've got a family crest and a family seal and family words and everything. And I love, like I said, I love words. And these come with me. But the chorus of the song goes, Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with the hurting. If you are alive and breathing, praise the Lord. Now our family words actually fit perfectly with this. They are these words, Dum spiro spero. From the Latin to the English, it means while I breathe, I hope. And this is the absolute Christian life. If you have breath in your lungs, there is hope and there is joy because joy comes from the blessings of the Lord. And let me tell you, church, breath is blessing enough. I've preached here before on a little philosophy that I I like to call over my dead body Christianity. (sighs) I'm still working on the on the comprehensive text that outlines it. But here's the deal. I want you to set your sights on heaven and focus so much on feeling the presence of God in this world that you will not stop preaching the word of God only when you are dead. And even then, you will be in heaven praising the name of the Lord. Over my dead body will Satan get to me. Over my dead body will I lose hope and forget that the joy of the Lord is my strength over my dead body. I have just uh, one more Latin phrase for you because it, it fits and I got to have a little bit of fun with a dead language. But, but when you realize every breath is a blessing from the Lord, you are truly filled with joy. And so I say to you, Dom Spero Gario, while I breathe, I rejoice. 
This is Christmas. The season and the time to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We rejoice and are glad in Him. This time is hard for many and this weekend has been hard and we will mourn. We must mourn. But just as the shepherd's candle is pink among the purple, so I say joy cometh in the morning. For our God is the God on the highest, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, in excelsis Deo. And because our God is our God and He is the highest, we sing praises of joy and bring good tidings, which are for all people. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we are in a time of mourning. It is our season. Lord, be with each one of us, and Lord, bring us all together. For there is nothing like a church united. The gates of hell shake at the thought. God, be with the Meese family. God, be with anybody experiencing loss. I pray that they experience the reflection and the depth of mourning. I pray that they experience mourning, Lord. I pray that we begin to understand every day more and more the joy that comes from our salvation in you. For Lord, it is beyond comprehension. But Lord, I hope that every single person in this room tries because I tell you what, never before have I been more fulfilled by scrambling my brains about metaphysical concepts. You are good, God, and your ways are true. Lord, be with us. Bless us continually as you have blessed us before. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go fellowship.